Anthony. All right, I'm just going to start off in prayer. If you can just pray with me in your seat. You can open your mouth. If not, you don't have to. But uh, Lord, we just, uh, I'm mainly doing it for myself. But Lord, uh, we invite your presence into this place uh, this morning. God, we know that you want to speak to us, God, that you have a message, a word that is on your heart this morning. And Lord, we just ask, Lord, that through my life you can communicate that message. And God, that there would be ears open to hear uh, what the Spirit of God has to say this morning. God, we just honor you. Uh, Lord, we say, God, that your voice is most beautiful. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak and fill this room with your glory. God, fill people in this room with an expectation of your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. I'm going to shake you up out of your comfort zone for a little bit. Just look to the person next to you. Yeah, all of you. That means you have to turn your head and say, I'm glad you're in church this morning. All right. Now say it like you mean it with a smile. I'm glad you're here. Amen. Amen. Well, great. Awesome. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're glad because you said it. You confessed it. You commit to what you confess. We learned that last week. I'm very excited. I just want to open up with a joke. I tried this first service. I No, no I, I mean, we're going to go for it. Let's see. Maybe the second service is a little bit better. All right. So uh, um, this young lady is coming home from spring break, and she's talking to her mom, and she goes, hey, mom, I met this guy. And her mom goes, oh, really? And she goes, no, O'Reilly. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not, a com- I'm not a comedian, so there you go. Thank the Lord. He even has grace on us with bad senses of humor. <laughs> okay, we're going to get to the word. I'm going to transition here because that was a flop. Um, all right, so if many of you have been tracking here for any length of time, um, if you've been here for a couple Sundays, you know we've been tracking through the book of Acts, uh, which really gives us the model of church planting gives us the model of missions, gives us a model of, the, of a church community that's fully devoted to each other and fully devoted to the voice of God. If you were here last Sunday, Doug Stringer was here and addressed our community, and he said this over our community. He said, we are an Acts-esque type of church, that what God did in the book of Acts is a model for what God wants to do here. You know, Hilltop Church, we're not just here because we decided, oh, it'll be nice to plant a church in the most expensive zip code in the nation. I mean, who says that? We're here because God has called us here. We're here because God has an intention, a desire to launch you out of your comfort zone, to launch you to the end of the earth, to launch you to be missional in your communities, in your schools, in your workplaces, that he would receive his glory from Cambridge. It's been spoken. It's been prophesied. And that's why we gather. So I want to remind you of that this morning. And as we look at the book of Acts, I want you to insert yourself into the picture. As we start to look at these stories of these great apostles that have gone before us, they really have left the template for us of what God desires to do in our region, in our time. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so um, John talked a little bit about um, Acts 15 um, and 14 uh, two Sundays ago, but I just want to kind of track a little bit through the church history, starting in Acts 11. So the church in Jerusalem has now moved to Antioch based on the uh, persecution uh, that happened on the cusp of Stephen. So they're in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas go to Antioch to encourage the Gentile believers. Gentiles are getting saved. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. They're seeing signs and wonders. And Paul and Barnabas are now sent as missionaries to Antioch to steward this movement of God that's happened. All right, so as we go to Acts 15, 
a couple of the Pharisees, the Pharisees that became believers, they start to get a little bit restless and a little bit of dissension starts to breed in the camp of the council. And they start to say, hey, guys, you know, this is great and all what God is doing with the Gentiles. This is exciting. But shouldn't they actually be circumcised? Shouldn't they be circumcised? And Peter stands up in the midst of the council and boldly begins to, to proclaim that it is because of faith that they received, whenever they received Jesus, is because of the grace that they received through faith in Christ Jesus is the reason why they're able to be called sons and daughters. They don't need to do anything more. Circumcision is not the way they attain rightness with God. It's because of the blood of Jesus and their agreement with that sacrifice that, are, that they are able to enter into this family line of being called our brothers and sisters. So Peter proclaims this. And I think this really serves as, as a healthy reminder for us this morning, right? Because we get so used to just kind of doing the thing, right? We come to church on Sunday. We're like, yeah, I got my Jesus in for two hours. We're going to the prayer room and these things are all good. But apart from the blood of Jesus... Listen, apart from the sacrifice of Jesus and you agreeing and believing in that sacrifice, even the things that we do that are seemingly good for God are vanity. Do you understand that this morning? Even the things that we may do that are seemingly good can be vanity if we don't have agreement with the sacrifice and the blood offering of Jesus for our life. Amen. All right. So let's pick up in the story. So at the end of Acts 15, um, there's an argument that happens, small argument between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is Paul's homeboy. He rolls with him. He's been with him in in, uh, Antioch. He's been with him. They've been traveling together, seeing the Lord do amazing things amongst the Gentiles. And Paul, because of what has been happening with some of the believers and what they've been saying about this whole circumcision thing for the Gentiles, Paul says, we really need to go and encourage the church. We need to go back to the places that we planted churches, and we need to go encourage our brothers and sisters so that they won't lose heart. Barnabas agrees with this, but he says, I want to take John Mark with me. And Paul says, no, no, John Mark, he hasn't been faithful. We don't need to take John Mark. We just need to go. Me and you need to go. So at this moment, this is where dissension starts to happen between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas goes off to Cyprus uh, with John Mark, and then uh, Paul and Silas go, um, they start going to, they start going to Asia, actually, uh, to preach the gospel. Um, One of the things I just want to note here is that it's so important, I think, to recognize and understand spiritual authority and start to recognize and understand words and actually authority that God has put on people's hearts because I think a lot of this could have been avoided if Barnabas probably would have submitted to say, you know what, Paul, you've been leading this thing. I've been faithfully supporting. Yeah, let's go together. You know, but instead Barnabas says, you know what, I have a better idea in mind. And actually the interesting thing is we don't hear anything of Barnabas after this moment. Uh, We hear a lot about Paul, what Paul was doing with the the Gentiles, but Barnabas falls off the record. So let's pick up the story in Acts 16, all right? You guys okay? All right. (laughs) No problem. Um, So Paul Paul has has a desire to hit Asia. Um, He ends up encountering Timothy. Let's pick it up in Acts 16, verse 6. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Let's stop real quick for a second. So Paul gets this desire. He says, the Asians need to hear the gospel. But, amen, but the Holy Spirit, it says, not the enemy, not the enemy, not the devil. It says the Holy Spirit is withholding Paul from going. Now, this is so interesting because 
I think a lot of us can get in the mindset of thinking whenever we have delays or whenever there's a blockade or whenever there's resistance in going somewhere, we're always quick to say, oh, the enemy is doing it, right? Oh, the enemy doesn't want me to be rich. There it is again, taking my money. Oh, the enemy doesn't want me to be happy. All these things. But we see here the case is, is that it's actually the Holy Spirit that's keeping Paul from going. And we're going we're gonna to see why in a second. We're going to see why the Holy Spirit has now redirected Paul to actually go to Macedonia. So look, let's pick it up in verse 9. It says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of, a man of, Macedonia, of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. One thing I want to say here is that God does not serve our desires. God is not, you did not get saved. God did not save your life so that you can live a better life, 10 steps to a better you, so that you can have all the money in the world, so that you can do what you want to do on your own accord with your own desire. God died so that you would come and be a part of his family and be abide in him and that you would be an extension of who he is, giving glory to the Father and bearing fruit. That's why he gave his life for you. He didn't give his life so that he can now submit and give you all the desires that you want in the world. Now, a benefit of being a Christian is God is so generous and he's so kind, but not only to give us the blood of Jesus, but he also gives us health. He also gives us life abundantly. But if he hasn't and if he doesn't give us those things, he is yet still good because he's given us eternal life. If God never gives you another cent, if you never become rich, if you never get that promotion, I want to tell you this morning that his blood is the most precious, the most valuable thing that you can ever have. We have an eternal gift, friends, that God has poured out. But a lot of times we treat what is holy as common. Guys, the end of our life, the end of the means of our life is not to attain a six-figure salary. It's not to attain wealth, happiness, love, and riches. But it's to be holy, to behold him, to be obedient that he would receive the sacrifice, that he received worthy to his name, that he received what he is due because he gave it all to us. The standard of New Testament Christianity is now generosity because we serve a God that has given everything for us. And in return, he says, give me all of you. Where's Edward Cook? I love Edward Cook. This man is amazing 14-year-old. You can clap. The reason why I love Edward is because we were doing a Bible study at our community group at college at J-Hop. We're reading John 15, talking about abiding in him. And if we don't abide in him, we can't bear fruit. And Edward says this profound. He says, Matt, there's no middle line when it comes to serving Jesus. He says there is no gray area of being a Christian. He says you're either in it or you're not. You're either serving or you're not. It's not I'm just touching the branch and, oh, yeah, Lord, let me get a little bit of fruit. No, he says, abide in me. He says, if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything. But abiding in him, we can do much things. And one thing we see about Paul, especially in the, in the early church, is that he had such a yieldedness to the spirit of God. He didn't, he didn't question why God caused him not to go to Asia. But instead, he allowed the Lord to give him visitation. You see, whenever you're obedient, a lot of you guys have been saying, oh, man, I wish I would have dreams and visions and all these things. See, whenever your heart is yielded and God's voice is the most beautiful thing to you, right? Not just seeking to have God come and serve your pleasures. You get visitation. 
You get authorization to do the things that Jesus did. Why? Because he says, you will be faithful to bear much fruit. You will be faithful to steward what I've given you. So Paul gets this visitation, and he goes to Macedonia. And so now we see, um, as Paul is in, is in Philippi, a city in Macedonia, the first thing he does is he goes to an all-ladies prayer meeting. Say amen, somebody. Amen. amen. This is J-Hop Philippi. Paul's a part of a praying community. And there's a woman named Lydia who happens to also be a businesswoman, um, and she sells purple cloth. I have no idea what that is. I'm not going to give you some nice commentary definition. I, I don't know. She's selling purple cloth, but this is her vocation. So let's pick up, let's pick up in uh, 13, verse 13. It says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to a woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyateria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in God, she said, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded, and she persuaded us. So a couple of things we see is that she was a Gentile, right? She was a Gentile. And she was impacted by Paul's message. A couple of things to note about this exchange that Paul has to Lydia is Lydia and her, and her homies, her, her ladies, they're doing a prayer meeting. She doesn't want to say, Paul, why are you here to ruin what we're doing? Paul, why don't you just go back and do what you guys were doing in Jerusalem and Antioch? Why are you in Macedonia, which is largely unreached? The gospel hasn't spread there yet. But yet Paul finds his faithful community. And Lydia, yielding to the spirit of God in Paul, receives the gospel. But the crazy thing is, as, you, as Lydia receives the gospel, now her whole family gets to partake. It says her whole household was blessed. Her whole household. How many of you guys have people around you on a daily basis that are like Lydia, right? People that are waiting to hear the good news. One of the things that wrecked me this morning is I was in prayer, and the Lord just started to speak things to my heart and started to convict me. He says, Matthew, there are nations around you. You know, a lot of times we look at, like, missions, which, yes, sending to the 1040 window needs to happen. Totally agree. Absolutely. But sometimes we almost see that as the end all and we forget the very places that God has called us to serve in a day-to-day basis with the people around us. Guys, there are generations that can be saved by people around you. There are nations that can be touched by just one person you share the gospel with. It's not that hard. One thing we see about, about uh, Paul is that he didn't come up with this system to reach Macedonia. It was simple obedience. He just went. He said, the Lord spoke to me, gave me a visitation. I'm up and I'm going. Amen. See, and, a lot, and the, the crazy thing is he didn't wait just to have the visitation. He still decided to go to Asia, but he allowed the Lord to come and inconvenience him and redirect his life. Friend, this morning, you want God to break in and inconvenience your life. Amen. You want God to break in and redirect your life. Why? Because he has something far better, far greater. And let's see what the, why the Lord wanted Paul to go to Macedonia. I think it's very important as this story unfolds here. So we see that he met Lydia, becomes the first woman to join the Macedonian church. She started the church plant right there in her house. So let's look at verse 25 through 23. I'm sorry, not verse 25, verse 17. 
um, says this, said, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. So before I read on, let me just kind of give the backstory here. Um, there's a demon-possessed girl that's following Paul. So Paul's continuing to go to these prayer meetings. Um, he's continuing to sow into the church in Macedonia. And there's a slave woman, and her owners are following Paul, and she's continuing to chant these things over Paul. She's saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And Paul becomes drastically annoyed with this woman. And he looks at her and casts the demon out of her. He says, in the name of Jesus, you need freedom. In the name of Jesus, be gone, be cast out. So let's read. It says, so she followed these men, the rest shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to, and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that you come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So if you can just imagine what's happening here, I don't want to go through the whole scripture, read it on your own if you want. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase and uh, give you a little sample here. But if you can imagine what's happening here, this demon-possessed girl is following Paul and Silas. Paul becomes annoyed, casts this demon out. Now, she's a slave, meaning she belongs to someone. So the slave owners become enraged because this is their source of income. She's, a, 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 she, she's like a, um, what's the word, a psychic. She, she fortune tells. And, and people, you know, come to her and they're really excited and, and almost captivated by this fortune-telling ability that she has. It's from the enemy. And Paul casts this demon out of her, so she's now free. The owners are upset. They're like, man, look at these men coming in our town. They're turning things upside down. Now we have no way to make profit. So now they take Paul and Silas. They drag them to the marketplace, and they say, away with these men. These men are coming, and they're doing the same thing that they did in these other cities. They're proclaiming the gospel. We want, we want, we want nothing to do with it. Paul and Silas are then thrown into jail at that moment, doing nothing wrong. No trial, no, no way to explain themselves, but yet thrown in jail. So let's pick up the story here in verse 25 to 33. And let's see what Paul and Silas are doing. So it says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a, a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. A couple of interesting things here. Paul and Silas, wrongly accused by earthly circumstances, are thrown into jail. But what response do we see that they have? You can say it. They worship. They're worshiping. They're not complaining, saying, God, why did you let this happen? We thought you called us to go to Macedonia. God, I, I had a vision. I got a word. You called me to go here. But now I'm in jail. They're worshiping. They're not arguing with each other, saying, Paul, why did you cast that demon out of that girl? That wasn't necessary. Their response <laughs> is worship. You know why their response is worship? Because they realize that the only freedom, that can, the only thing that can set them free in the moment, 
The only thing that can give them liberation, the only one that can give them joy is Jesus. It's fellowship and communion with his spirit. So they start to tap into that and they say, oh God, you're where they start to worship. And immediately the grounds, it doesn't say just an earthquake, it says a violent earthquake starts to shake. The doors are open, the chains are broken off. A lot of times, whenever we go through hard situations, it's so easy for us to become accommodated with looking at the situation and saying, God, why? God, why me? God, why do I have to go through this struggle? But if we were to see these situations as on-ramps for the Holy Spirit to come and break in and power and use you, my goodness, wouldn't we look different in this city? Wouldn't our, the landscapes of our colleges look different? See, we shouldn't just wish to have heartache and to have pain and to have rerouting and all these different things go away because they might be a situation that God wants to break in. He wants to train your heart in worship because he knows that is the only place you can find freedom. So I want to encourage you this morning. It's so I do it all the time, guys. I'm not just sitting here yelling at you. I'm sorry if I'm yelling. I get it from Daryl. Blame him. But we, we, need to, to look through situ, we need to look at situations through the lens of the Holy Spirit. What if God were up to something? A lot of you guys are here and you're wondering, why in the world am I in Cambridge? Why in the world am I stuck through a nine-to-five job? I thought I was going to be in ministry full-time. Or it's the opposite. Why in the world am I in ministry? I thought I was going to be doing this. I thought I was going to be doing that. And we spend the rest of our life playing this game with God as if he's not good and he doesn't know what he's doing. I do it. I do it all the time. And the Lord convicted me this morning. And he says, I've, called, I've set the boundaries of your life. I know exactly where you are. I know exactly where I've placed you. And I desire to use you. I desire to have fellowship with you. One thing I love about David, he says, if I make my bed in hell, God, you are still there. God is not absent from your situation. Because it looks bleak externally through life, God is still present. Hear me this morning. I, seriously, I want you to hear. God is still present in your situation. But instead, what if we just change our perspective a little bit? And we say, instead of going inward on ourselves, blaming ourselves for why we're in this situation, it may not be your fault. It may just be the divine hand of the Lord leading you so that he could be glorified and that you can worship and then you can see chains breaking off of your life. You can see chains breaking off of your family members. The crazy thing about this situation with Paul and Silas is they're not the only ones affected. It says a jailer getting ready to commit suicide, take his life. Basically, Paul calls out to him. And as he calls out to him, he, he realizes his own depravity. He realizes there is one thing that he needs, and it's to be saved. It is to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. It is to have eternal life. And he says, Paul, what must I do to be saved? And after his acceptance of Jesus, guess what? His whole household is blessed. And similarly to Lydia, one thing I love and one thing I would say is the marking of a believer is the serving of other believers. We see two parallels with Lydia and also the jailer. They invite the apostles into their homes. And because of that, now their homes are blessed. So now there's two, there's two house church plants in Macedonia. Amen? This is, uh, this is the, third, the third member of the, uh, the church of Macedonia. So we can see that the Lord brings joy even in the midst of difficult situations, that we want God to intervene. We want suddenly moments of God. We should be thankful that God is, is intervening in our lives, that he's redirecting us because it's his grace. 
It's his mercy to redirect us. It's the divine orchestration of his hand to lead us where he desires us to be. Amen? We can also see um, another thing in verse 35, that it brings boldness. Um, so Paul, after he's free, basically the, the governors or the government of this um, region of Macedonia, they come and they say, hey, man, jailer, yeah, let them free now. They can go. And, uh, and Paul, so bold, he's like, no, you, you guys are, I'm not going to let you guys off the hook that easy. He's like, you guys need to escort me out of here. This needs to be a sign to the Macedonians that my Jesus, that my Lord is redeemer, that he frees. So let's look at this. Let's look at Paul's response. 35 says this. It says, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their, office, their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens and they threw us into prison, and now do they want to get rid of us so quietly? He says, no, let them come and escort us out. But we can see, you know, one thing that God does is some situations aren't just for you, right? A lot of times we can become so internally and say, oh, okay, yeah, I learned this, I learned that. Sometimes some situations that God does is for people around you. It's that they would see that he's good. And I can just imagine, can you imagine the effect that this had on the church of Macedonia, Lydia, and also um, the jailer, and they're, they're receiving the ministry of Paul and Silas, and then all of a sudden, Paul and Silas are now in jail, but now they see the triumphal re-entry of Paul and Silas back into ministry, and they see that, oh my goodness, surely the Lord's hand has done this? What a sign of motivation for that church in that time. It's amazing. I want to say is that God is after people. God is after the people around you. God is looking through your life to impact nations, to impact generations. And I just want to share a couple of stories um, just to kind of give glory to God. Uh, when I was 16, um, you know, I, I was, when I was 15, actually, I was a wreck. Um, I grew up in church, you know, kind of did the thing, went to church on Sunday. My, my parent, my dad was in ministry. And used to drag me to prayer every morning. And I used to always have this question, like, man, why am I doing this? Like, there's no significance in it for me because I hadn't encountered Jesus. And when I was 15, um, I was at the movies um, just kind of pursuing my own life, my own accord. Unbelieving believer, I, I showed up in church. Um, I did the thing. I, I prayed. But really, there was this huge disconnection in my heart with the living God. It was more just like a topical thing. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Like, unbeliever believer is what we call it. And I, I encountered this guy at the movies. I was, I was 15, and he was two years older than me, 17. And he was preaching the gospel boldly. And I looked at him. I said, man, I've never seen someone so young, like, with so much fire and passion for Jesus. Like, I was like, I want that. So I went up to him. I was like, hey, man, like, dude, what are you on? Like, what can I, can I get some of this, man? What is going on? And he looked at me almost like, like I was an idiot. He was like, dude, he's like, you just need to encounter Jesus. So I go home, and I pray. Um, and I said, Lord, if you're real, reveal yourself to me, God, pour yourself out. And guess what happened? No, he, nothing happened. <laughs> I didn't have an earthquake moment like Paul and Silas. I wish I did. But reality, what happened and what took place in my heart was this inquisition to want to know my creator and why I'm here. And, and if he's so intentional, surely he has a plan for me. Surely he has a desire. Surely he has an intentional plan for the time and the region in which I was born to use my life. And I wanted to know that. 
And so I started to ask God these questions when I wake up in the morning. I used to say, God, whatever you want to do today, I give you full uh, uh, permission to come rearrange my schedule. If it's me going to class, rearrange it, God. Do whatever you want to do. I want to be used for your glory. I don't want to be partially full. I want to be full to the brim. I want to be abiding in you. And I used to pray this every morning. And so I, I started work at Subway. And I, I walk in day one. I'm like, man, this is bad, dude. Like, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to college, man. I'm working at Subway. No offense to any of you working at Subway. It's a great job. I loved it, um, partially. But um, I was just like, man. So the first thing I see is, you know, a lot of you guys think Subway's eat fresh, right? Oh, eat Subway, eat fresh, right? I go in the back. This guy's cutting up tomatoes. And right next to tomatoes, he's, he's cutting up his weed, his cannabis, right there on the table, right there, right with the salad and everything. And I'm just like, oh, my Lord, where have you brought me? <laughs> And I'm just like, God, surely I could have gone right down to Jimmy John's down the street. It would have been better. But I just really felt the Lord say, no, I've called you here. And I don't want to tell this story too long. But from me being in this subway, the Lord would speak, I want you to pray for that person. Or I want you to share a word for this person. And guys, I just want to set the tone here. My life wasn't like sparkly. I wasn't walking around saying, thus saith the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. I wasn't like this profound 16-year-old, I was just like you guys. I was normal. I played video games. I messed up here and there. But Lord, the Lord still so favor and still so grace over my life. And in this moment, I would pray. I was, was praying for this guy. His name was uh, Chuck. And I said, Chuck, you know, I think the Lord wants to have your heart. The Lord wants to encounter your family. And he began to tell me, he said, Matt, every day I come in the subway, he says, I look forward to coming in here because I know I'm going to get to hear of Jesus. And he said, you know, one thing I want to tell you don't know about me, Matt. He said, I just got out of jail a couple of months ago. And he says, me and my wife, we get strung out on heroin every night. We have kids. The kids kind of raise themselves. And he says, I'm starting to see the effect of my own addiction to my kids. He says, I don't know what to do. But he says, one thing I do know is that whenever I come to this subway, I know that I'm going to receive hope because you talk about Jesus. He says, I grew up in church also. He said, I used to think that God wasn't real. I used to think that God wasn't involved. But he says, I can see because God has placed you here in this subway to speak to me that God cares for me and he loves me. He says, I want you to come over to my house. And I just want to preface this. You know, I was very risky. I would go to people's house, definitely talk to somebody before you do stuff like this. I was, I was a knucklehead. And so I went over to his house, um, but the, the Lord still used it. I went over to his house, and we, we started to have dinners, me and his kids and his wife, and we would talk about Jesus and talk about the word. And then w- one, one night, his wife all, all of a sudden confesses to the family her drug addiction and says, you know what? I used to be bound in drugs, but I believe that I'm free in Jesus' name. And she gets free and gets loose. The kids, get, the kids start manifesting demons, getting free. And this is all because of simple obedience. If I, if I just were to walk in the subway and say, oh, there's weed here. I'm, I'm out. You know, God, this is too hard. Ooh, this is not as clean as, as I'm used to. Man, who, who would have known what would have happened? But because that man is now saved, guess what? His kids are going to be walking in the way of the Lord. Their kids are going to be walking in the way of the Lord. Generations can be affected by your simple obedience to the Lord. It doesn't take a pastor. It doesn't take, you don't have to be up here on the stage to be effective for Jesus. You don't have to be in this pulpit. You know what it takes? A yielded heart to say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do it. I'll yield my heart to you. That's why we see the church in Acts was so successful. 
because they had this yieldedness in them of saying, Lord, this is yours. We're not trying to build it. You build it. You do what you want to do. And they saw the success of the church growing in that day. An interesting thing is Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he also references the church in Macedonia. Now, this church at the time, they, they experienced hardship, persecution. I would almost gander to say that even people like Lydia maybe were being martyred because of the gospel, because the Macedonians, they didn't like it. They didn't like change. They didn't like uh, the, the apostles coming in, sharing the gospel, changing the hearts of the Gentiles. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 3. How much time do I have? A couple minutes? Okay. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says this. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their, their, their ability entirely on their own crazy thing is this church is experiencing hardship right now the church in Jerusalem is not doing so hot they're experiencing financial difficulties and Paul is now writing a letter to the church um, in Corinthians to raise funds for the church in Jerusalem and he's he's recalling the church in Macedonia so this is years later so the church in Macedonia is still in existence they're still serving the Lord but yet they're still undergoing persecution they're still undergoing hardship but one thing it says is even in experiencing the persecution and hardship, they're overwhelming. They're abounding in joy. They're abounding even financially. They're giving more and beyond their means. And they're actually saying, Paul, we want to support and encourage the other churches. Let us continue to give in the work of the Lord, even in experiencing bleak situations. That's crazy. One thing about God, one thing about his supernatural power, it doesn't take much. He will totally Flip around your perspective of how you think of poverty, of how you think of ailments. These things that we experience as believers, God wants to use them strategically to glorify himself and to show others around you that he is good and he is God. And he can. I've seen it in my life. I've seen people get healed of cancer. I've seen people that have had cancer for years, that have been demonically oppressed for years, all of a sudden, in a suddenly moment, get healed. But I've also seen people experience cancer, but yet still maintain and actually abound in the joy of the Lord. Why? Because his goodness is not conditioned by your reality. His goodness is not a function of your condition if you don't feel good. His goodness stands alone. Amen. His love is unconditional. And so I just want to tell you that this morning, that a lot of us are trying to do things in our own ability. And God doesn't desire that. God desires that you would find the place of abiding in John 15. Apart from him, we can do nothing. That we would be so connected and commune, commune with him. That from our lives, that he can use our lives to touch those around us, our Judea, Samaria, to touch the nations. And it doesn't take a scholar. It doesn't take a prophet. It doesn't take a pastor. He used, he used simple people. Guys, a businesswoman selling purple cloths. Come on. This is, the, this is the president that we have. If God can use her, surely he can use you. Romans 2.11 says this. says he is no respecter of person. He's not going to do one for you and then, you know, say, all right, you go, go do your own thing. No. His love is real. It's fiery. It's more realer than your, your own reality. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I just want to enter, go into a time of prayer. I believe some of you 
are going through some difficult things now. But I believe that God wants to break in in your heart in a suddenly moment, just as he did for Paul and Silas. That chains of depression, that chains of addiction would fall off. That chains of complacency would fall off. So I'm going to invite Will up to the piano. And we're just going to take one moment. I know we don't have a lot of time. But I believe this is important. I believe that Lord wants to break in suddenly for a lot of you. We're just going to pray. But I want to encourage you, if this is you, if you're like Matt, I hear what you're saying. But I just need someone to agree with me. It's pricking my heart. I haven't, I haven't treated the, work, the, work, the Lord as I should. I haven't trusted him as I should. But I want to. I just want to invite you to come to the front so that we can have people to actually pray and agree with you. Amen. I'm just going to pray. But if that's you, we're not going to give too much time. Don't miss your opportunity. Don't miss your suddenly. I want to invite you to come up to this altar and that we can pray for you. So let's just bow our eyes. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Oh, God, we, God, we repent before you, God, this morning. God, for trying to do things in our own self-sufficiency. Lord, we repent before you, God, and we say that our lives haven't accurately depicted who you are as king, as sovereign. But, Lord, we know, God, in Scripture that your word says that you're close to the brokenhearted. God, that you're near to those enduring affliction. And, Lord, we believe that that same power, God, that released Paul and Silas from prison is here. That same chain-breaking anointing is in this place this morning. So, Father, we just pray, God, for every person in this room, God, experiencing captivity from the enemy. We say be loose and free in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you right now. That the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same resurrection power, God, that is in this place this morning. God, we speak over every soul. God, we say, make us bold witnesses for your glory, God. God, we ask, Lord God, that generations and that nations, God, would be changed, God, by the very people that you have placed in our lives. God, we agree. Lord, we say that things may not be fully right. But, Lord, we know, God, that you are sovereign and you've placed us here for a reason, God. God, we don't don't want to do away with your involvement, Jesus. But, Lord, we want more. So, Father, we ask right now, God, that you would break in, Lord. God, we ask right now chains of depression broken in the name of Jesus. Those addictions that we we can't quite shake in our own ability. We, We declare those broken in the name of Jesus. Generational curses broken. In the name of Jesus, God, I ask even now that you would raise up bold witnesses, Father. God, like Paul and Silas, God, those that would not count their lives as more, but that would count your word, your calling as more, as more precious, as most valuable, Jesus. Yeah, I just believe even now the Lord is just even speaking destiny to a couple of you. That a couple of you have been asking the question, why am I here in this moment? And I believe right now that if you would yield your heart as Paul and Silas did, that God is going to speak destiny over some of you. I just want to encourage you just to even lift up your hands. If you're in your seat and you feel too ashamed to come up, God is still good and he'll still meet you. He's not limited by your steps. But I would encourage you, take a a step of faith this morning. Let someone agree with you. Come and meet the Lord at the altar this morning. But I believe that God is speaking right now. So I just want to encourage you, don't worry about who's next to you. Just focus in on him. Just focus your attention on him. He's most beautiful. Let him speak to you this morning.